You're listening to audio from Queen City Church. Thank you for joining us. We hope this message will encourage you and offer practical steps for a relationship with God that keeps getting better and better. It is so incredible to be with you on this special and powerful, during this special and powerful series, as well as on this morning, this day, as Heather said, I know it's complicated for many of you. Uh, bringing out celebration and appreciation as well as perhaps sadness and angst and maybe even perhaps anger. The reality is that some of us are excited that, right, we have mothers and others of us don't have mothers and all the joy around that and the pain around that as well as to be and not be a mother. And it's fascinating, Heather and I didn't talk, but the word the Lord wanted me to start out with this morning for very clearly to me was, he is El Roy. That's one of the names of God, and it means the God who sees. And he sees you. And he sees what it took for you to get over that threshold this morning. Yeah, and so we are excited to be with the God who sees and the God who has seen you all be in this series, this emotionally healthy relationship series that I am like, yes, I love you people. I mean, I just want to take you all home already. And Brian has done an incredible job providing excellent tools in, are you with me in the series so far? He, he talked about awareness, he talked about assumption and expectation, and he talked last week about conflict, did he not? So let's talk about those tools real quick to, by way of summary. Assumption, assumption is like that finder tool. You know, assumption is the reality that you can't fix something unless you see what? That it needs fixed. That you can't use a tool that you have unless you know you have it. I mean, how many times have you needed something and haven't found it and then later happened across it and been like, it would have been nice if I would have known that was there. Or a, a place in your home that needs attending to and you didn't know the leak was going on until there's been so much damage. Awareness is the reality that something can be completely prevented if only we know ahead of time. And so awareness is a necessary and critical tool for living emotionally healthy relationships, Yes. That's what you learned. And hey, note takers, we're going to take a lot of notes. So for those of you that are note takers, get it out. Let's go. The second thing is this. You then covered expectation and assumption. I can tell you the truth. This is literally life-changing if you'll let it be. Perhaps let's just describe it as the tool of like, you know, a level that shows you when something's off kilter. Honestly, usually when something feels off kilter in your relationship, it's so often because of an unspoken or uncommunicated assumption or expectation. Can I get a witness? Amen. Yeah, 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 right? So just like projects need a level, so our relational health needs one. And then last week, you were equipped with the tool of conflict, understanding the difference critical between peacekeeping and peacemaking. And to me, that's like the tool of a screwdriver, which is this. It's, you know, extremely critical just about to just about each and every project. But unless we have the right kind of screwdriver, what can happen? Right, we can actually grind off the nail head and go backwards in our project. The difference between the screwdriver tip of peacekeeping versus peacemaking is small but mighty in our relationships. Right? So, with Brian's excellent explanation of these three critical relationship tools in the series, the Lord led him last week to get very clear about how these tools do not matter unless there's a tool belt. He said, we never move on from our dependence on God, from needing God, right? That nothing is as important as your dependence upon God, and it's true. I can tell you as a counselor for over 30 years that we can have all the tools in the world, 
but they will be scattered and unavailable unless they're carried by something strong enough to hold them. No joke. Unless they are securely harnessed in a sturdy tool belt. So that's exactly how I'm going to proceed today and where we start from now. So a quote attributed to C.S. Lewis is this. He said, you don't have a soul. He said, you are a soul. You have a body. You get that, right? That your truest you is a soul. That your body is just the vehicle for that soul. And we're not going to operate correctly unless we, unless we operate from being a soul, not a body. So the soul that you are, as the soul that you are, every one of us has internal thirst. Like a hunger. A longing. A desire for something deeper, something more. Yeah? Everyone's soul has thirst or hunger or longing, whatever word translates to you. It's, God put it there, and it's in his word. In Isaiah 55, 1, he says, come to me, all you who are thirsty. In Psalm 42, 1, he says, as the deer pants for, my water, so, for the water, so my soul longs for you, O Lord. In Psalm 38, verse 9, the psalmist says, all my longings lie open before you, O God. He knows we have this stuff driving us. And in actuality, we got to get this real clear, real quick. In actuality, that thirst pushes and pulls and drives most of what we do. Right? Brian actually acknowledged this a couple weeks ago when he said, deep down in our soul, we all want emotionally healthy relationships. He said it. We've got that longing, that hunger. So from that internal ache, that thirst within, manifests in what I have just come to call... Soul questions. I don't know what's in your mind, but think about, there are things like this. Am I valuable? Am I purposeful? Am I attractive? Am I enough? Am I lovable? Am I likable? Do I have a purpose? I don't know how you and the Holy Spirit are communicating about these things right now, but you have them. I have them, and they drive so much of our lives. Think about yours for a second. Is yours more the I, am I valuable? Is yours more the am I enough? Do I, am I making a difference? Do I even, is there anything that I can see like dash across your eyes when I'm interacting with you that means like there's some reason for me to be here? See, our soul questions drive us a lot, and we take them to all sorts of places, don't we? Right? from shopping to sports to sex to stocks and so on. We take them to people and circumstances like this kind of like, oh, well, if you like me, then I like me. And if you don't like me, I don't like me. And if circumstances are good, I'm good. And if circumstances are bad, I'm bad. That's not emotional health and that's not life. That's not life. Because no matter how hard, catch this, no matter how hard your spouse can try to answer your sole question of am I lovable, it will never work to truly satisfy you because he or she does not live in your soul. He or she's a spouse, not a savior. And try as hard as your awesome friend might to answer your question of am I valuable? He or she's a friend, not the faithful father. Not the author of your soul. If we lived from our souls, listen, 
we would stop. I say that nicely. That sounded so bossy. Sorry. <laughs> if we, <laughs> I'm just passionate. If we lived from our souls, if we lived from the souls that we are, we would stop unwittingly setting the people in our lives up for failure by releasing them from having to be identity and security givers to us. Shall I say that again? If we live from our souls, we would stop unwittingly setting the people in our lives up for failure by releasing them from having to be identity and security givers to us. So when we take soul questions to the people and relationships in our lives, we are not going to have emotionally healthy relationships. We've got to stop shopping horizontally for what's been given vertically. To have emotionally healthy relationships, you must live as and care for the soul that you are. That's where we start from. So before now, have you ever thought about attending to and taking care of your soul in the same, to the same degree as taking care of your physical self? I mean, think of the time you spend sleeping, cleaning, grooming, clothing, <laughs> all the things. You're not going to be an emotionally healthy you and therefore have emotionally healthy relationships until you take care of your soul. That means you've got to pay attention to it. Just like your body, you know, you take its temperature, you make sure it's fed with healthy and appropriate food. Are you doing these things with your soul? I pray you as a community have discussions about what that is. And so as you drill down into, focus on, and consider your very soul, it is so critically important that you know your very existence is a never-to-be-repeated way in which God has chosen to express himself to this planet. No joke, it's so incredible. Your fingerprints testify to the reality that what? God only ever, 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 ever wanted how many of you? <laughs> One. So I'm no mathematician, but if your sole question is the variety of am I enough? If one is all he created, how many is enough? You see, our soul questions are answered in the Lord. Listen, can we just take a second and listen to Psalm 139, if you don't mind? And I may, may I ask, would you let it go in? Oh, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You're familiar with all my ways and before words on my tongue. You know it completely, oh, Lord. You, you hem me in behind and before. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me too lofty for me to attain because where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. And if I make my bed in some depth, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, the night will become like day to you, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made because your works are wonderful. I know that full well. And my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body and all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O oh God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. And when I awake, I'm still with you. Can you imagine how different your days would be if you read and meditated on that every day, if you started every day with that? Can you imagine how your emotional health would be improved? Why? 
because your consternation over being valuable and striving to feel purposeful would begin to take a backseat to God's primary authorship of the story that is you. (laughs) There will only ever be one of you designed by God, which by definition, not by feeling, makes you special. Ephesians 2.10 is crazy, crazy amazing. It says this, For you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works which God prepared in advance for you to do. Did you take that in? What's a workmanship? Right? It's an intentional, on purpose, takes a lot of time, like a lot of design and a lot of effort. Craftsmanship. The Word of God, many versions translate that word to be, do you know it? How many of you looked in the mirror as you got ready this morning and were like, masterpiece, let go. (laughs) And I say, why not? Because the word of God says it. For you are God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus. And what the rest of that verse say? To do good works that God prepared in advance for you to do. Do you hear it? There's a list that has your name on it that nobody else can do. And when you're done with that list, you'll be with him. And the you that you are, the masterpiece that you are, do you understand? You're made with the way you think and the way you look and the way you act and all the things that make you you to do that list. And so can we stop doing this, which is like, oh, I like so-and-so's list better than mine. Because the way you are is because he's got works prepared in advance for you to do and he calls them good works. And Psalm 149 verse 4 tells us about this masterpiece, about this creation of God that you are, that he takes great delight in his people. So does Zephaniah 3.17. It says, the Lord your God will take great delight in you. It says he will no longer rebuke you in his love. And you know what it says? He'll rejoice over you with singing. I love my Brian. I don't know. I know God's singing a rap song over me, but that's a whole different message right now. So the point is this, do you picture that God, the God of absolute delight, the God who said in 1 John 3, 1, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And then it says, and that is what we are. He's trying to communicate in the holy word of God, which is eternal. I have a posture towards you. Do you live out of that posture? This is the only way we'll be able to do anything in relationship, let alone be emotionally healthy. Amen? He says, I have all the love. I have all the things that you want and that you need. The answer to your soul questions is yes. And dear ones, I think when we speak and think disparaging things about the beloved, delighted in child of God in the mirror, I don't think we remember he's in the room. He's in the room. And he loves that masterpiece he made. He loves that child of his. So here's the point. You will never experience true peace, joy, or emotional health until you, here's the word, discard yours or others' opinions of you and accept his view of you. Discard, trash, get rid of. Do you know today might be the best day of your life because you finally stopped deciding to care what you think about you? You've been formed in a culture that gives you one perspective of you. Is that in alignment with the word of God? This is not, this whole thing is not to boost your self-esteem. It's not. Or to make you feel better. But frankly, for the purposes of living in the reality of God's perspective. And from there, it makes no sense that we would live comparing ourselves to others. More concerned with how many likes we receive than how much love God has poured out. 
And yet that's exactly what we do. Insecurity, comparison, and popularity-seeking are show-stopping impediments to living a life of longing fulfilled in Jesus, let alone a life of emotional health. In fact, so much of emotional health, excuse me, unhealth, is built on the the things in this society that cause us to have self-hatred, self-loathing, self-doubt. That comes from comparison, amen? And that's built on the mechanisms of creating discontent. So... You're not going to be emotionally healthy until you stop comparing and have your identity based solely on the Lord's perspective of you. Maybe that's what you needed to hear this morning. So to live as the soul you are with a solid, given value of worth and purpose is the tool belt for all the emotionally healthy tools. The tools will just be scattered about willy-nilly if there isn't a secure place for them to be wielded from. Your solid identity, your utter dependence upon God for who you are, your desperation to be anchored in Him, that is the place from which you can and must live your most emotionally healthy relationships. But if you're looking to those relationships to give you your identity... Emotional health will not be in your future. So to have emotionally healthy relationships, live knowing your unique given value, not seeking it. This is your tool belt. Everything else is carried by this foundation. Okay. But I do want to talk about tools because, you know, I'm a counselor. So what tool should every tool belt have in it? Brian mentioned it in in, uh, one of his uh, messages. A hammer. So I'm like, okay, what's the hammer? So that's what we're going to talk about now. When you have your tool belt solidly set and on, your identity secure in Christ, given by the Lord, not seeking it from the left and to the right, the most important thing after that is to realize, dear ones, there's a war against your soul. There is clear and discernible opposition to your relationships. Can I get an amen about how hard relationships are? It's one of the most stark things about life is to get married and then... (laughs) so hard. (laughs) Hey, let's look at this fascinating verse together. And actually, if you don't mind, can we read it together, those of you that are willing? Here we go. It's 2 Corinthians uh, 4.4. Here we go. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Wow. First thing we run smack into in that verse is what? That there's a small g God. That's not a typo. Okay. There, what? There's a small g God of when? What's this age? Say this age another way. Right now. When you and I live. There's a small g God of this age working to do what? To blind minds. To mess with minds. For what purpose? to keep them from seeing Jesus, to keep them in unbelief. Does that not fit with what you see in our larger culture? That verse is like, but you know, that's working against us as well. So maybe for those of you that have been pursuing Jesus and with such great fervor and faith is hard for you, you just need to relax and realize it's hard because it's hard. It's not about you and that you're a bad Christian. No, 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 dear one. There is a force working against you. So how does this blinding of minds happen? Well, I want to look at another verse together. So if you're taking notes, write it down. I'm going to say it quickly, okay? It's Ephesians 6, 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, 
but against the powers and principalities and forces of darkness in the unseen spiritual places. I'll read it again. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Where did we start? You are a soul. A soul is a spirit. Right? There is a battle going on in the mysterious, difficult to talk about in human language, realm of the spirit. Working to do what? Mess with your mind to keep it from seeing Jesus. And Jesus himself did say this in John 8, 44. He talked about uh, basically that Satan, his enemy, is called a liar. And he was given the title, the father of lies. And Jesus said he does nothing but speak his native language, which is lies. Okay, are you putting this together? I sure hope. That in the place of your soul, in the spiritual realm, there's someone lying to you. You could even feel it the minute I was saying how beautiful you are as a masterpiece of God. There's, for some of you, it was pretty palpable. No, you're not. Where did you think that was coming from? Do you think you'd really want to think that about yourself? Would you turn and say that to your neighbor? Oh, you're not a masterpiece of God. Okay. You would not. So what makes you think that that's your voice, so to speak? Do you understand? In the realm of your spirit, there is a pummeling that is going to be happening through things like this. There's nothing special about you. You're fat, unattractive, not smart. You're not worth anyone's time. You'll never be free. You're not good enough. You'll never succeed. No one will ever love you for you. God's not real. God is not strong. God is not for you. God does not love you. Uh, you'll never be as good as him or her. You're dirty. People can't be trusted, you see? In the last 24 hours, 48 hours, if I asked how many of you have had some sense of one of those kinds of things in your soul, how many hands do you think would go up? Right? 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 This is going on. Like, if it's out here in the realm of the physical, it's easy for me if someone would look at me in the front row and say, you know, God doesn't love you. I'd be like, oh, sorry, you're wrong. You know? It's just, it'd be so easy just to say that. But when it's inside, in the space of our soul, and if we're not paying attention... We're falling prey to this pummeling on the regular. Do you know, in John 10, 10, Jesus said, the thief comes only to what? You know it, thank you, steal and kill and destroy. Did you ever stop and think, steal and kill and destroy what? Your faith, your belief that God is good, your belief that you're a masterpiece, your belief that God is real, right? Evil's looking to steal, kill, and destroy your faith. Anything that you believe about God's goodness, love, and light. Listen, in the spiritual realm, there's a liar lying to you, wanting to steal, kill, and destroy your faith, and wanting to do what every army general does when they're coming against an enemy. Divide and conquer. You know that's every good wartime strategy. That's what's going on in your relationships. Evil hates the manifest glory of God, and when two or more are dwelling in unity and loving one another... You know God is getting much manifest glory from that, and that is what evil hates, is the manifest glory of God and is trying to divide and conquer every good relationship you have. Amen? As a vessel of the Most High God seeking to love others in Him, you will experience regular and ongoing spiritual opposition and challenge in the place of your spirit. To be emotionally healthy, you've got to recognize there's a force working against you, against your faith, and against your relationships. So to have emotionally healthy relationships, fight the enemy working against you, your relationships, 
and especially your faith with truth. All right, there's always hellish onslaught. You can feel it in your relationships in this divide and conquer scheme to take that thing personally, to hold on to offense, to self-protect and hurt, to judge another, to make that assumption, to be resentful because of an unmet expectation, to resort to peacekeeping instead of peacemaking. You can feel those temptations there all the time. Again, it's not just because, you know, uh, can I speak colloquially? Can I? It's not just because you kind of suck. It's because there's an enemy who hates the manifest glory of God and the beautiful creation of his that you are and your heart that wants to serve and love him and that is what is being opposed. 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9 tells us to be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. It says resist him, standing firm in the truth. Yeah, Overcoming is yours and mine. Jesus said it all the time. So how do we fight in the place of our spirit? Here's the hammer. And uh, yeah, here's the hammer. I was going to say, and Heather mentioned it. But in Romans 12 too, don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Can we all read the hammer out loud, the three R's? Are you ready? Recognize, reject, replace. This is the hammer that every one of us needs to have and use every day of our lives to have emotionally healthy relationships and be an emotionally healthy person. So what do you think it is? To recognize what? You got it. You got it. To recognize the lie, the schemes, the bait of Satan, the ways in which evil is like trying to make you feel and think things that are not true about the person you're with or not true about yourself or not true about God. Just to recognize that and then reject is like, no, not going to do that, not going to say that, not going to believe that, right? And then replace it with what? The truth of God. Yeah. So, for instance, in a relationship, right? He's annoying me. Mike's annoying me. That's my husband. He's annoying me. Reject is, so I recognize it. Reject is, no, no, no. I'm not going to take that bait to freeze him out. Okay? And then replace it with, okay, he might have had a hard day, or he's not doing that on purpose. All right? He's God's creation. All right, how about I'm baited to feel shame? You can feel it. You recognize I'm being baited to feel shame right now. And, okay, what's reject? No. People make, I'm a person, and people make mistakes all the time. The truth is that God is with me and has covered my sin and made me righteous. This is how we recognize, reject, replace. I pray as a community, you start using this with one another, one to another, and that it's a part of your everyday life, like brushing your teeth, RRR, doing the thing, recognizing the battle. Are you with me? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm hoping you're able to firsthand connect maybe for the very first time this morning the intense relational challenges you face and just how stinking-hearted relationships can be, let alone trying to live a life of faith because of the hellish pushback every day of your life. Okay, and I got one more point to make for the day. Are you, are you with it? It's intense. We're good. You guys are doing great. And so that brings us to our next point for the day. The time in which we live is a time of brokenness and therefore grief in our everyday lives. Paul told us in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. So... Why do we keep struggling so much when people sin and fall short of the glory of God? When straight up he told us, people are broken. You and I are not fully our intended selves yet. In John 16, you know what Jesus said? He said, in this world you will have, do you know it? Oh, yes, in this world you will have trouble. He said, but take heart, 
I've overcome the world. Jesus straight up equated world equals, so trouble equals, trouble equals, you mean trouble doesn't equal I'm a bad Christian? Trouble doesn't equal my relationship is awful and needs to be gotten rid of? Trouble doesn't equal like I'm not doing the things God wants? No, trouble equals, we're in a time of brokenness. So why is it so hard for us to live with this fact? My friends, it's because we don't want things to be broken. Can't you feel it? Ecclesiastes 3.11 says eternity is set in our hearts. That's what rises up all the time. We're like, no, (laughs) I don't want people to be undependable and self-centered, right? I want them to be dependable and loving and trustworthy and kind. But the reality is, below the surface of our jeans, kicks, hoodies, and shades, lie souls that struggle. Likely in our midst this morning is a couple whose marriage is hanging on by a thread. Maybe someone recently given a DUI and another newly divorced person wondering if they're going to be judged this morning. Then there's the friend group that's more sarcastic and biting than uplifting and safe. The reality is that in every situation where there are people, there is brokenness. Therefore, the grief, grief over the brokenness of self, others, and the world is an inescapable part of our lives. It's inevitable. You cannot live without experiencing it in a thousand different ways. Such a seemingly inconsequential thing as a spouse coming home late or say, you know, saying she or she wouldn't, or your great boss suddenly transferring to the bigger loss of a dream, to wounds from abuse, neglect, abandonment, losses of alienated family members, friends who no longer speak to each other, and on and on. Did we really think that we shouldn't grieve anything except for the actual death of a person? So what is grief then? Grief is the normal and natural emotional reaction to loss of any kind. So we face minor grief almost daily in some form or another. From the loss of a favorite item to pet to job to hair, loss is loss. But how much more relational hurts, disappointments, and rejections. So here's the point for us to grab this morning. Every heart, including yours, is grappling with grief in some form or fashion because we live in a time of brokenness. Because things weren't supposed to be this way. We were not made for brokenness. We were made for Eden and eternity. And this is neither. Amen? It's what I like to call chapters 4, 5, and 6, like the middle of the story. Like, what's the middle of every epic saga or, like, Netflix series? Love, conflict, betrayal, reunion, intimacy, passion, destruction. I mean, that's where we live. That's where we live until we see him face to face. So grief is a result of that, being in those chapters. And it's impacting your daily life and relationships. Here's why it's important. And why I bring it up this morning. If we don't understand grief, we will most likely misinterpret it. Are you with me? I hope you are, because you seem like smart people. Misinterpret it as what? I'm a bad Christian for not being happy, or I'm not a strong Christian. God's not keeping his promises. I'm a terrible Christ follower. Something's wrong with me. God's promises aren't real. I'm perpetually depressed and should end my life. And applied to our relationships, how do we misinterpret grief? Well, there's problems, so I have to get out. Or, well, if they're not perfectly nice to me all the time, then it's just not a good relationship. 
Rome, the Romans 3.23 reality of not only your friend or your partner, but also yourself is maybe what's the matter with your relationship and you're misappropriating and misassigning and misunderstanding it. We all fall short. When one friend that I shared this with understood grief as a part of every relationship, even good ones, this side of eternity, you know what she said? It was great. She said, oh, it's a relief. It's just grief. Right? When I look at my husband and it's like, dang, I hate that thing he does. There's grief there if we'll let there be grief. Because he can't be perfect. Right? So, to not misunderstand and then sabotagingly misinterpret the grievous aspects of life and relationship, what shall we do? What's our tool here, Timmy? <laughs> Jesus gave it to us, as we said earlier, in John 16, He said, in this world you'll have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Do you hear the two sort of aspects that he says there? Basically, I'm going to just synopsize it this way. All of life is lived on the two rails of joy and grief. You know it. There's joy in every moment if you will mine for it. And there is grief present in even the most amazing moments. That's your experience. I know it. Mine too. We're like trains and life is like a track. And our trains are meant to run on the rails of joy and grief. So if we try to run on just one railway, we'll be like a train out of control. Right? Sometimes, just a quick aside, it seems that people often have the idea that a person with strong faith should not be broken, should have a smile on their face all the time, and certainly should not grieve. I'm going to tell you this. Suck it up. Mentality is counter to grief. Allowing oneself to grieve losses and actually doing that work on purpose is necessary for being a healthy person. The Bible doesn't tell us to sidestep grief. For goodness sake, there's an entire book in the Bible called what? Lamentations. He knew it would be an important part of our lives. So to have emotionally healthy relationships, we have to live on the two rails of joy and grief to recognize the place of both joy and grief in them. So if you want the tool for today, for this one, it's Ecclesiastes 7.18. It says it is good to hold on to one without letting go of the other. A man of wisdom avoids all extremes. It's so good. The Proverbs are so good. Thank you, Lord. How you doing? <laughs> so remember how Brian said we all need to get used to the fact that we're all needy? Remember when my six million height man said that? We have to get used to being needy? Well, <laughs> if you're not sensing it after the foregoing discussion, suffice it to say, you are needy. Because grief is in your life. We're all needy. Every single one of us has a need for reassurance, needs for comfort. My goodness, the Holy Spirit was given the name comforter for a reason. So again, the Lord is showing us the need to tend to our emotional self. So... In the same way that you have a physical self and learn bodily function and bodily control and bodily science, you have an emotional self as well, right? You can recognize when the body's not doing well, well, you can with your emotional self as well, and feelings are what help us to recognize when our emotional self is doing well or not. When there's something going wrong that we're not aware of, our emotions are guides and barometers to these things. So, while we can't go into depth this morning, I want to keep throwing some tools at you because, you know, I love that. Uh, so, real quickly, here is a helpful sort of rubric to think through just an even cursorily, like, uh, basic understanding of a couple of emotions. Here's one. Anger can signal a blocked goal. 
It's why when somebody cuts me off in traffic, I don't get sad. It makes me sad. Are you with me? Right? If you wanted to just have a relaxing evening and your spouse gives you the like, we got to do these things, you might get a little mad. Right? If you want to feel good about yourself, but your friend brings up a way that they're disappointed in you, you might get a little mad because you're having a goal that's being blocked. Anxiety can signal an uncertain goal. Now, that's weird and so hard to, like, pull down. So here's how I say it, competing goals. It's helpful to think about it that way. I want to trust God, but I really want to see my securities here intact. Your intention. I really want to live by faith, but I really don't want to experience the pain of this life. They're competing. I want to have a great relationship, but I really want to do the things I want to do. (laughs) I really want to be understood, but I really don't want to be vulnerable. Tension. Anxiety can result because you've got to make a choice. There's things competing inside you. Depression can signal an unattainable goal. When my goal is to never feel pain or to have a relationship without conflict, I can become depressed, for these are goals that can't be met. You can't have a spouse that's never going to hurt your feelings. You can't have a friend that's never going to let you down. You can't have a neighbor that's always going to be great. I share these things because I've seen when people start properly identifying and acknowledging emotions, some other emotional states become affected in helpful ways, breaking some things free that have been stuck for a long time. So as we end, another wonderful tool that I know works well for every type of person, whether novice or pro, is the feelings wheel. Dun, dun, dun. More tools. But I'm not joking. At any time when conversation is stuck, when you don't know what you feel, when you're going on a date night and you're like, what are we going to talk about other than our kids, right? Anything like that. Pull out the feelings wheel and you want to zoom in on the center circle and, and look at the center emotions and be like, does one of those fit my lived experience right now? Which one most closely resembles my lived experience right now? Am I sad? Yeah. Fearful? Maybe. Okay, but if fearful or whatever word you land on doesn't quite fit, that's when you go out to the wedge piece and look for more descriptive terms. And it is so settling and surprising when you can actually give voice to your emotion. Oh my goodness, so today we've thrown a lot of emotional health tools your way, apprehending both joy and grief in relationship, what anger, depression, anxiety can signal, the feelings will, but back to what's most important, your tool belt. You can't have emotionally healthy relationships until you live for and care, live as, excuse me, and care for the soul that you are. Until you live knowing your unique value, not seeking it. Right? Then with that as your secure foundation, you can have excellent relationships of emotional health as you fight the enemy working against you, your relationships, and your faith. With the, with the hammer, what was the hammer? Recognize, reject, and... Mm-hmm. And we also want to recognize the place of both joy and grief in our relationships, able to recognize feelings as well. It's been a ton. You've been amazing. Let's pray and ask God to seal what only he can and what he wants to do in each one of us. God, I do pray that. I thank you so much for these ones. Leading so far forward into your truth, knowing you are the answer. You are the only true hiding place, the only true refuge. So Spirit, I pray right now that the thing that you have wanted 
each one to hear. He or she would not let get hold of. As a matter of fact, you would so burn it and sear it and stamp it in him or her that from this day forward, whatever it is, is there. The comparison stops. The recognizing lies, it's good. The understanding emotions are living into an emotional health in a new way. Lord, whatever it is, maybe the person just needs to know they're grieving. Thank you that you've met each one of us. You've seen each one. Oh, Elroy. Jesus, you're amazing. You're amazing for purchasing us all that we need to navigate this life. Thank you for your living and active word that has pierced us and buoyed us and helped us and encouraged us this morning. Seal it now. Thank you. If there's anything in your life that we can pray for, please visit queencitypeople.com slash prayer. For the latest updates on our church, follow us on social media at queencitypeople or visit queencitypeople.com.